Jesse, how's it going? It's going pretty good. I have to admit I'm feeling pretty smug at the moment, Katie. Why is that? Well, my state kicked your state's ass. At what? So I'm home outside Boston visiting my parents, and I was just driving around listening to local radio, and I hear this segment where the New England Aquarium, our wonderful aquarium downtown, uh, just acquired a new little critter. And it is this it is this really cool kind of octopus, apparently, that will eventually grow quite large. And they explain that it is named after – I'm not going to look it up. Matouche, some kind of island off the northwest Pacific coast of Washington, D.C. Of Washington, D.C.? Is there a, is there a Sorry. coast up there? <laughs> <laughs> yes, the coast of the Potomac where <laughs> nothing can survive. No, they took – they fucking we, – we took your shit. Our – the Bostonians – like raided your coast we stole your octopus and now we have are holding it captive in our aquarium so eat it wow that's some real like colonization there some like reverse manifest destiny what, wait what do you want with this octopus in the first place why can't you get your own octopus you know i think we're probably just going to torture it for information try to figure out you know what your economic weaknesses are <laughs> it, it was we were obviously just going to be able to sail in and take this octopus because you guys are all just out there in your flannels. You're high all the time. You were never going to mount a defense of this precious octopus that we now possess. So Fuck. I just wanted to gloat a little bit about that. Wait, somebody needs to go in there and free the octopus. Yeah, I don't think you people are capable of it. You just lack the you lack the initiative. We also Yes, we do have legal weed out here. That is true. Um, well, speaking of octopi. At Valentine's Day every year, the Seattle Aquarium, you can go watch the octopi have sex with each other. <laughs> is that, I feel like this is something Dan Savage would somehow be involved in. <laughs> he probably thought of it, actually, yes. Um, no, this is a real thing. You can On Valentine's Day, they like show if the timing is right and, the, and everybody's in the mood, I suppose. Um, you can go watch like live octopi sex, octopusy sex, um, yeah, in downtown Seattle. I have yet to do it. Maybe next year. I think the only way anyone in your corner of the country will be like motivated enough to steal back your octopus is if the octopus like wears a kimono or something. <laughs> it, like, cult, like take it back for cultural appropriation. Yeah, to cancel exactly. it. Take it back just to kill it. I mean, yes. The reality is I'm a little bit jealous of the Pacific Northwest because you guys do have much more natural – Massachusetts is beautiful in a way. But like there's nothing like the Northwest. So I'm glad we could steal a little bit of uh, of your nature. Katie, what is the name of this podcast that will now focus exclusively on octolarceny? This is Blocked and Reported and I am Katie Herzog. I am Jesse Single. And today we are going to be talking about – what are we talking about? Critical race theory. That's right. We're talking about the most pressing issue in the Trump administration, um, as well as some other stuff in the – what do you call this field? The, the race the, the race industry? The racist industry? The diversity industry. Yes. Uh, the cracker killers. Uh, <laughs> big <laughs> big training. Big D'Angelo. That's part of the story here is it is just like this big sort of – corrupt industry like any other i mean it's not yeah we'll get into that but what's the uh so basically trump did a thing right right so in about a week ago we're recording this on september 11th happy september 11th jesse <laughs> did you get your parents a card <laughs> every year every year i have flowers sent to them on i believe this one's on september 4th a week ago trump the trump administration um, released a, a memo. I guess this was an executive order. Was it an executive order? Does that sound right to you? I think it was like an internal memo. And and part of the reason I don't care about the difference is like there's the same level of like people shrugging their shoulders, having no idea sort of how um, 
binding it is or it doesn't like it's like asking the government to look into certain things but it's unclear exactly what the authority is or what it will do so yeah not i think it's not technically an executive order but more internal memo Right. Okay. So in this case, the Trump administration has, they instructed federal agencies to end the sort of Robin D'Angelo style critical race theory, racial sensitivity and diversity and equity and inclusion trainings that we have talked about many times on this podcast. Um, and if, for people who haven't listened to our episodes on Robin D'Angelo, I highly recommend them because it'll give you a lot more background on, on what we're talking about today. And also, in particular, um, I did an interview with a woman who who whose theater did a, a year of Robin D'Angelo training, and uh, we talked about what that was like. So that's early in our archives. If you want to go back and listen to that, I would highly recommend it. I, I, I got in a little bit of trouble in like an offline com- off, offline but online conversation with someone where I referred to the woman who went through the training as a victim of it, and. The person I was talking to sort of responded like, uh, yeah, I don't think there's any victims of D'Angelo trains, but if you listen to what happened to her, she's like, it, she, you know, she'll survive, but it was like this abject humiliation cultish stuff so people should listen to that. right just for to, for instance one small thing uh, she was a designer at a nonprofit theater and one of her colleagues at one point she had she designed a poster the, the theater was 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 putting on a production of uh, like odysseus or something like that and she had designed the poster and the poster had this this like ancient greek design these sort of interlocking lines and one of her colleagues saw this went and reported to the diversity trainers um and who included Robin D'Angelo, um, that there was a hidden swastika within this poster. Uh, she was completely shocked to find out that there was a hidden swastika, but she got publicly called out, um, you know, in front of her colleagues for, uh, you know, for like for, for sub- subconscious anti-Semitism. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that you could call her a victim in this case. So this this whole thing is sort of a mix of this this Trump memo. um there's a few different things going on. One is it, it appears geared at getting rid of trainings based on so-called critical race theory, CRT. CRT is a lot of things and people sometimes get confused about what it is and what it isn't. It is this whole you know, area of academia, of thought, of legal thought, sociology, everything that, that has to do with how society is structured. In an American context, it often says that racism is sort of built into the law and into our institutions. If you look up a list of critical race theory scholars, it it ranges from people I respect and have learned from, like Michelle Alexander, to what are to me much more radical and fringe people. It's just sort of a in my view, I think some CRT stuff is a little bit nuts, but it's just it's weird to me to have the government say we're just gonna like get rid of anything in this one area it came across as political pandering to me but at the same time like i do think some of these trainings are crazy and are are a terrible waste of taxpayer money so where where should we come down on this right so i'm sort of where you are on this um when i so what what happened is that there's a guy in Seattle named Christopher Rufo, um, who I've met a, a couple times. Uh, he, he ran for city council in Seattle, and then he dropped out of the race. He blamed uh, the harassment he was getting um, for dropping out of the race. I will say I he shared with me some of the screenshots of the harassment he was getting, and I found it um, – not that harassing. <laughs> like I, I know this stuff is is subjective, um, and maybe my maybe my my standard for harassment is just higher. But that's a thing where like people will be like, "I'm being harassed so horribly," and then it's like, "Yeah, I will." Used to get 
two DMs like this a day when my DMs were right. Open. Like there are stickers with my face on it calling me a neo Nazi and stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So anyway, so so I had interviewed Chris um, when he was running for city council, and he's a sort of I don't know if he identifies as a libertarian or a Republican. I believe he voted for Gary Johnson in 2016, but he's definitely not a mainstream Seattle politician. Um, he's way, way more conservative than, than the typical Seattleite. And he, uh, and he has become, um, something of a gadfly. Um, he, he, so he, he mostly does his, his like publishing work on, on Twitter and, and on his website, but he has gotten, um, all of these, these people in, in local and federal government have leaked him documents or other, uh, other evidence of these critical race theory trainings. And some of them are pretty bizarre. Like, did you see the one about executives at, uh, in some like nuclear lab? I vaguely remember this, but remind me. Okay. So I'm, I'm reading here from his website. Last year, Sandia National Laboratories, which designs America's nuclear weapons, hosted a three-day re-education camp for white males with the goal of exposing their white privilege and deconstructing white male culture. Um, so he got a bunch of documents from this, and they had a mandatory training called White Men's Caucus on Eliminating Racism, Sexism, and Homophobia Within Organizations. This is like now a very common thing that happens at, of course, like nonprofits and, and apparently federal agencies and educational institutions and hospitals. So this stuff is this stuff is like it seems bizarre but it's actually happening all over the country. And so as part of this training, they had to make a these men were asked to make a list of associations about about white male culture. Um and some of them were things like sports, football, whatever, but then uh then there were there were uh, like a sort of award association game and they had things like white supremacists, KKK, Aryan Nation, privilege, mass killings. Um and then so you know, they basically do a a sort of like racist, you know, as he said, like racist re-education um, to try to make these guys like see their quote unquote white privilege. Um, and some of this, you know, it gets into this thing where it becomes this sort of like weird, like sort of anti-black or anti-POC racism where they say things like individualism is a white characteristic. Hard work is a white characteristic, um, as we have seen, as we have seen elsewhere. Um, so, so Chris Rufo has been on a tear about this over the last few months. And he was on Fox News, um, was on Tucker Carlson talking about this. Surprise, surprise, Donald Trump's watching Tucker Carlson. And then the next day, all of a sudden, there's a memo banning these trainings in federal agencies. So, you know, I'm a little uncomfortable with this. Just the idea, like, for one thing, is this executive overreach? That's a question that I have. Should the president be dictating what sort of trainings are being done in these in these institutions, even if it's taxpayer funding? Um, and even if the even if the trainings, as we're going to talk about a little bit later, probably don't work and actually make things worse. And that's, of course, an incredibly important element of this. But just the idea that we have this president who's like sitting around in his bathtub watching <laughs> Tucker, and this guy comes on and he talks about this, and then all of a sudden there's a new government rule. Well, I, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with this. And then also the way that they frame this, like the memo calls these trainings divisive, uh, which I agree with. I think they are divisive. But it also calls them anti-American propaganda. I don't actually think CRT is anti-American. I think it's incredibly American. Um, you know, it's especially American if, if we think of it as this as what it is right now, which is full of grifters. <laughs> and well, it's like it's sort of a new religion. Exactly. It is. It is like a new religion. And so on the one hand, it's like, do I think that the, the president should be able to say like, no, you know, uh, we will no longer be doing astrology readings in the federal government? Well, yeah, kind of. But do I think that like, I don't know. Okay, so let me put it this way. Trump tweeted at one point, 
please report any sightings so we can quickly extinguish. And I do, oh, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with this. I'm uncomfortable. It's incredibly it creepy. It is incredibly creepy. It really, ha- it's just like reminiscent of the Red Scare. You know, um, the education department, they're apparently going to be doing these sort of um, like internal investigations on the book clubs that people are, are holding in these, you know, in these institutions in search of anti-American propaganda. We clearly disagree with white fragility and Robin D'Angelo and think that she's actually making things worse. Do I think that the federal government should be investigating schools that are having white fragility book clubs? And the answer to that is no. So I really, I really don't know how to feel about this. I'm opposed to many elements of critical race theory. I think that this is actually damaging. I also think that the federal government doesn't it should not really be in the position of policing thought and policing books and policing the sort of conversations that people are having within their jobs. Yeah, I guess one counter argument is that, you know, if the government decided to start these trainings and spend money on them. Yes, some I'd other, also have a problem with that. Yeah, which wasn't ideal. But I agree with you completely. Also, you know, this whole un-American thing is just taking me back to like the Iraq War era, and then before I was born, the 60s, it's right. like being against Vietnam is un-American. Being against the Iraq War is un- It doesn't make you un-American. Even if you think, you know, American culture is threaded through with racism, that doesn't make you un-American. One of the things that makes us American is we can say shit like that. Um, right. It's it's very red scare. Yeah. So just like it, it, it was weird to read about this because – I am against a lot of these trainings, like for, for more substantive reasons I'll get into. I just, do I think Donald Trump has any fucking clue what he's doing other than that he sees this as a, you know, we just did an uh, episode on um, moral grandstanding. That's what this is. It's grandstanding. It's Trump getting up there and showing like, uh, we're going to go after those sort of un-American SJW types. Right. And the other problem with this is that there will be a backlash. We're already seeing the backlash. But I think that if Donald Trump wanted to guarantee that Joe Biden is going to come into office and institute CRT and white fragility trainings in the federal government, this is the way to do it. Because anything Donald Trump touches, there's a fucking reaction to it. So that to me is actually the bigger concern um, is that when Donald Trump is against something, that means people will automatically be for it. So even people who maybe don't think that this is a great idea, Donald Trump opposes it. Therefore, now we have to say critical race theory is good. Yeah, that's exactly what has has worried me and annoyed me about the response, where it's like people who don't actually know anything about the research on diversity trainings and who either didn't read White Fragility or didn't read it closely and see how crazy it was are saying, well, Trump's against these things, so they're good. But the more... I think the attitude we should take is that, A, these trainings should be evidence-based. So yeah, like everything else, this just becomes this sort of bipolar political thing where conservatives are against CRT, liberals are for it. When And none, and another, none of whom actually understand what it is. No one knows what it is. No one knows what's in these trainings. People just know they're supposed to be in favor of diversity trainings. I mean, the people who market these trainings have done a brilliant job because it's now like, oh, you're against the anti-racism training? <laughs> you must you must be in favor of racism. I mean, this is what happened at at Evergreen when Brett Weinstein um, was against the um, the Evergreen State's equity plan um, a couple years ago. I, the narrative about Evergreen is that Brett was, or the 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 sort of accepted narrative is that Brett was against this day of absence, which was a, an annual tradition in which uh, black people would leave campus to sort of show what their um, you know, with their absence did to the school that year, they were going to, this was in 2016, I believe they were, or 2017, maybe 
They were going to reverse that. So white people were going to leave campus. And this wasn't sort of a voluntary thing. There was a lot of, I think, internal pressure to to leave campus. And so that's sort of the narrative that Brett disagreed with that. But what he really disagreed with was, was Evergreen's equity plan, um, which was a pretty standard equity plan that is will be adopted by many, many institutions and I think probably has been by now um, across America. But if you, if you say that you're opposed to equity, an equity plan, it looks like what you're saying is you're opposed to equity. And then it looks like what you're you're saying is you're opposed to equality. And so it's just it, like from a marketing perspective, it's really difficult to be the person who stands up and says like, well, actually, um, you know, here are the problems with this with this ideology. I mean, the, the guys on um, the fifth column have made this point, but it's like, if a pro-life person says, oh, you're against life. Like it's just not right. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's no one's idea of a substantive point. Um, and yet it's and yet it's very effective. It's sort of like the conversation around Antifa, right? Where you just say anti Antifa is anti-fascist, and therefore if you if you oppose Antifa, then you are fascist, um, which is not a good argument. It's not, but it's somehow effective online. I mean, w- watching the way journalists have covered Antifa and Antifa adjacent situations where there's just no critical thinking and no real reporting. It's just been um, it's been a bad year for a lot of things, but a bad year for journalism. So it was interesting to me that um, there's an NPR study that came out Thursday, yesterday as we record this, by a really good reporter named Martin Cast. It's not Casti, Casti right? Casti, yeah. Martin Casti, NYPD study, implicit bias training changes minds, not necessarily behavior. So Implicit bias trainings are often sort of intermixed with critical race theory, but it, it's sort of its own different area. It's an area where we do have a lot, not a lot, but a good number of evaluations of implicit bias trainings and if they work. And Im- implicit bias trainings are not covered by this new witch hunt Trump is doing, or at least according to what I read. Um, but it's this area of incredibly faddish trainings that took off around the turn of the century – we're basically two decades in. I'll, I'll, I wrote a long story about them uh, a few years ago. There's no evidence they worked. So Martin Cassie is reporting on this new study about the NYPD. And what's amazing is if you scroll down a little, you see these charts about what it did and didn't do. And so before and after training, they increased the percentage of cops who agreed with the statement, policing based on stereotypes or biases can make police unsafe. Okay, uh, whatever. They also increased the number of cops who believed it is easier to manage implicit biases than to change them. Like, so this is just sort of delivering people certain pieces of propaganda. Some of it trueish. Some of it I'm not true, sure is true. And the, the only successful stuff they could find is that people adopted or claimed to adopt some of the messages of the IAT when they, looked at the evidence that this changed discriminatory policing, they found no evidence for that. And that's in long line with basically all the research we have on implicit bias training, which is it doesn't do anything. And what's amazing is this story is peppered with quotes from various decision makers who are saying, well, you know, it doesn't matter to us if there's no evidence it works. We're still going to do it, which just it tells you everything you need to know. Totally. So Martin is a he's a great reporter at NPR and he like really looks at the data and he looks at the evidence and he isn't crazy and he isn't captured. Um, I have been on this tear about about public radio lately because public radio has gone through a sort of visibly uh, remarkable shift 
in the last couple of months, specifically since the killing of George Floyd, um, where they have turned I feel like when I'm listening to NPR, I'm stuck in a mandatory Robin D'Angelo training. <laughs> Everything is about race. And I am slightly exaggerating, but not by much. Um, and so it was good to see NPR, uh, you know, publish something that actually looks at the data. However, I saw Martin's piece and I, I was listening to NPR uh, this morning and yesterday and every day like I do. And I play this, I play this game with myself now where I, I turn on NPR throughout the day. And if, and I, and I guess is the story that is playing when I turn on the radio going to be about race? And I always guess yes. And I'm always right. And so, so, so Martin does this great piece, you know, looking at the evidence. Meanwhile, I'm listening to the radio and my local station, KNKX, is doing an advertisement for a, a live event that they're doing. And the, the, the event is called something like, I've heard this ad so many times, the event's called something like COVID and, or, or, or pandemic and protest, something like that. And it's talking, it's going to be some like live discussion about race in the time of COVID. And one of the stories that they're advertising, it, the, 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 the woman says something like, what do the results of an implicit bias test mean if you take it before and after volunteering for the Peace Corps in Africa? And it's like, it nothing. Nothing. That means nothing. It means nothing. And if you were if you were paying attention to the research, you would fucking know this. And the people who the guy who who is one of the developers of the IAT told me this. Um, so in 2018, if you recall, um, a barista kicked out or a manager maybe kicked out some black guys who were in the Starbucks and then Starbucks, uh, you know, closes down the entire operation, closes down all of their stores nationwide, maybe worldwide, I'm not sure, for a day to do this IAT training. And so I got in touch with uh, with Tony Greenwald, who is one of the developers of this test, um, it, which is housed and uh, you can take the test on like on, I guess, on Harvard's website, but he's at the University of Washington. And I asked him about it. And here's what he told me. Starbucks would be wise to check out the scientific evidence on implicit bias training. It appears to be the right thing to do, but this training has not been shown to be effective and it can even be counterproductive. It will appear that Starbucks is doing the right thing, but the training is not likely to change anything. Implicit association test is a valuable educational device to allow people to discover their own implicit bias. However, taking the IT to discover one's own implicit bias does nothing to remove or reduce those implicit biases. Although e e even there, he's overstating the evidence by saying it can measure implicit bias. It's not even clear it can accurately measure individuals right and, and this thing is also so fucking easy to game like like take the test we can put a link to it on on uh on the website but if i if i want to if i want to get a result like you know i'm um i'm i'm biased against skinny white gay people or whatever um i can get that it's easy it's incredibly easy it's just the test measures like how fast you associate words like good and bad with particular demographic categories right yeah and um, well, just to sort of tie things back together, the, the reason I continue to write about diversity trainings is – so I think what's happening now is we're earlier in this fad process than we are with the IAT. The IAT over decades became a juggernaut. And right now, some of these more CRT-based trainings are becoming juggernauts. And we're going to have the same thing where hundreds of millions of dollars will be spent and they're going to it's going to turn out they don't work. The the difference is the reason I think this is worse than the IIT is so back in 2007 uh this guy Scott Lilienfeld he's a he's a really good clinical psychologist. He wrote a paper called Psychological Treatments That Cause Harm. And he pointed out that there's a number of treatments um one of them is this thing called critical incident stress debriefings, where after you experience trauma, you get together in a group of other people who have experienced the same trauma and you sort of unpack it and talk about it. 
at the time, people thought this was a good idea. They thought it was evidence-based. It turns out that it either does nothing or it makes people's trauma a little bit worse because it might be that like some not everyone wants to talk about trauma right after it occurs. And if you're sitting next to someone who's crying hysterically, that might not have a good effect on you. Um, there's that. There's trainings like D.A.R.E. Remember D.A.R.E.? Katie, did that did that stop you from doing drugs? Oh, my God. Have you, have you seen a scan of my brain? Obviously not. <laughs> you know, or Jesse, I'm sure you're you know more about this than I do, but the evidence on that we have of trigger warnings, um, which you hear all the time, you hear them on fucking. I heard one on NPR this morning. Um, is that and it was a trigger warning for a uh, for a okay on Fridays. Do you listen to much NPR? I'm finding it harder and harder to. Okay, understandably. So on Fridays, forever they have done this StoryCorps thing, which is like the crying hour, right? Where two people get together and they talk about something emotional. And um, today is, you know, it's September 11th. So they were having a story about September 11th. And they did a trigger warning for like, for a fucking September 11th story. Um, and and the, the all of like, this has been shown repeatedly over and over and over that trigger warnings actually make things worse. They prime people to feel traumatized and anxious. I think that might be I'm not trying to be a nerd. That might be a slight overstatement of the evidence. At the very least, we can say that we don't have evidence trigger warnings help. help. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I. so the reason – okay. If you read White Fragility or about her trainings or some of these other trainings, they're different from implicit bias trainings. Implicit bias trainings I think are a little bit unethical because unless you couch people's result, you're sort of lying to them. You're saying this is evidence you're implicitly biased when the test barely means anything. But it's not the end of the world. D'Angelo style trainings and some and and those of that ilk, I, I think, could cause harm. I do. They they force these emotional, humiliating confrontations in work. You're dragged into a room with people from work who you might not be close to and forced to talk about, confronted with like really heavy shit. You're forced to. You're not allowed to talk back if you're white. There's, you're not allowed to de- not even just talk back. You're not allowed to defend yourself. Yeah. So if somebody calls you racist, if I'm the trainer and I say Jesse Single is racist, there's nothing you can do. You can't offer any sort of evidence to defend yourself. You can't you can't push back. You have to sit there and take it. Yeah. So if you wanted to build a training that would have some risk of causing psychological harm, that's what it would look like. It would involve sort of heightened emotions and you know, not not just causing harm to individuals, but causing harm to the ways workplaces function. I mean, in the woman we interviewed, she talked about how she thought it made it harder for her to just talk to like a black friend at work. Yeah, she said specifically that it made her second guess all of her interactions with black people. So there was a there was an incident where she like complimented a black colleague on his on his his outfit for the day. And then just like was like going over and over this in her head, like, you know, do I hold black people to lower standards of fashion? which is ridiculous in the first place because we all know black people dress better than white people. You're never going to see cargo shorts on a black man. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so so it did. I mean, it made her it made her relationships more strained. It made her focus more on race and made organic, easy relationships difficult, which is maybe the point. Yeah, yeah. And then you need more training because things get worse. It's it's I'm not sure people realize like the people running the trainings have that in mind. But D'Angelo says that a you know she people seem to react in a really negative way to her training although it's this culty thing which is proof to her right, that it works um and they they all these people admit they're trying to make people uncomfortable why why are why should your workplace pay 
to make you uncomfortable. That's not the job. The job of a diversity training is to explain what is and isn't legal and is and isn't fail, fair, not to deliver some, you know, deep visceral experience. I, I'm with you. I just I wonder why the workplace has become the site of these of this reeducation. I mean, and the answer is because that's the only place I can force you to do yeah. this, right? And because it's a big fucking industry and there's lots of money in this, and because I think it it's a PR move, um, you know. But why? But why should workplaces be be uh, you know um, dictating what we think, trying to reeducate us? It doesn't make any fucking sense. They're not our moms. <laughs> no, this is just you know it's sort of capitalism at its best in that like someone sensed a market opportunity, so. You know, in this story, when we interviewed that woman, um, people should just listen to it because we keep referring to it. But the, the incident, quote unquote, that sparked a year long diversity training was not even necessarily racist. It was literally it was at a theater company. Someone reading from a script or asking about a script said the N word, not not as a slur, but just because it was in the script. Similarly, the Starbucks thing you don't know for sure that was a racist incident. Maybe she would have done this. Oh, absolutely like, not. You know, it's maybe. But the so if you can make money giving these trainings and get a company to spend God knows how much based on one ambiguous incident. I mean, that's just um, I. Yeah, I just get defensive because I don't want to come across as like defending Trump. But the reason I'm not just like, fuck Trump, this is stupid is like I've been on this beat for a while and I really think there's a chance that these Cutting-edge programs that, that companies and the government spend tens or hundreds of millions on could cause harm, and people should be against that. Yeah, and so this brings up something that I was going to save to talk about on our Patreon episode, but I think this actually it makes sense to talk about it now. So there was this sort of hilarious uh, debate, firestorm, whatever you want to call it, little, little clusterfuck on Twitter um, yesterday. Um, between a vice writer named Anna Merlin, who both you and I have, have had encounters with before, and and a writer named Frederick Joseph. So, hey, you forgot the one thing you have to say whenever you mention Merlin. What? This is uh, December first, twenty fourteen. Jezebel is the UVA rape story a gigantic hoax? Asks idiot. <laughs> Yes, Anna Merlin is the author of the greatest corrections in in the history of corrections. We will post a link to this on uh, on the page, the show page. You just like go into it. You just got it. You got it. You got to read this correction. It's very good. Okay, so recently, this guy Frederick Joseph, who um, writes about race, he has a book coming out um, called uh, "The Black Friend." Um, he's a marketer as well, Forbes 30 under 30. Uh, so blue check mark, that kind of guy. So he recently got an Airbnb and I think this was somewhere in upstate New York or someplace like that. And he gets to this Airbnb. He's with his, um, with his fiance and his eight year old brother. And he gets to this Airbnb and it has some, some art that he's uncomfortable with, like some, what he thinks is, is satanic, is satanic, uh, artwork in this in this place. So I'm going to read you a couple of his tweets. We just drove three hours with my eight-year-old brother for a getaway, and the house we arrived at ended up having seemingly satanic items and stuff for witchcraft rituals. We had to leave because my brother and the rest of us were frightened, but Airbnb won't refund me. 
So then he posts a bunch of photos from this house, and it looks like a pretty nice house, like maybe a farmhouse. There's a there's a tub on the porch, um, sort of you know like all like white painted walls and wood. Um, but it has it has some some items inside that he's uncomfortable with. So there's an animal skull hanging outside the house. Um, there's if you if you come to my house, that shit will not be will not be uncommon because my wife unfortunately does taxidermy. Um, and they have a there's there is some there is some art that is like pretty pretty. Uh, inappropriate, I would say. Like, there's a little figurine in one of the bedrooms of a of a dog fucking a woman. Oh my god! <laughs> totally inappropriate. Um, and then there's some stuff like there's a there's like a um, a bird like a, a bird in a bag. There's this what looks like a satanic little statue thing, like a like a devil doing like a little hand motion. There's a word for the baphomet, something like that. Um, and then so you know there's like there's some some a little bit of nudity in the like there's a picture of a topless woman in the house. Um, and then so he he posts these photos. And he says, you know, there is also um, there is a bridge into the woods behind the back patio. And he, he ends it by saying, needless to say, we left because we are black and not dealing with something that was advertised completely different, made the house look like a scene from hereditary and made the entire family feel unsafe. So this goes viral. Wait, so what, what was the connection to him being black in that last one? Did I miss something there? So this is the question, right? So the church, so as an aside, the church of Satan responds to this. This is great. There was the church of Satan says the photos in this thread depict thrift store curiosities and hot topic kitsch, not evidence of satanic rituals. Sounds like you have an overactive imagination and can't tell the difference between supernatural horror movies and reality. So Anna Merlin, our favorite, our favorite um, former Jezebel writer, now at Vice, writes a piece about this. And this is probably the only time I will defend Anna Merlin. Um, the piece is called, We Talked to the Host Accused of Doing Satanic Rituals in His Airbnb. And so she interviewed the guy who had this Airbnb. And the guy was like, like humiliated and also worried that people were going to like come to his house. The guy takes her on like a, you know, like a FaceTime tour of the house or whatever. And she sees these like little kitschy art things. At one point, Frederick Joseph had said that there were some markings in the basement that were probably from, um, you know, from like satanic rituals. He shows that they're like, they're not, you know, it's like old paint on the floor or something like that. So he, he, you know, he denies this. Um, So she writes this piece. It's, it's kind of funny and she's not totally like making fun of the guy, but she's saying like, you know, these are not like she's sort of goth. Like these are not these are not actual. This is not evidence of any like satanic rituals um, happening in this house. This guy overreacted, and this thread went viral. Um, and and the 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 Airbnb host ended up actually refunding him his money, so he lost like nine hundred bucks for it. Um. So so she publishes this piece, and then Frederick Joseph. Sorry, this is such a fucking long tangent. Frederick Joseph reads this and he is fucking pissed because so she reached out to him for comment and um, and he did not he did not return her her email. So here's what he says. He tweets. So Anna Merlin decided to write about my recent experience with Airbnb for Vice. She didn't interview me, get my perspective, or lived experience as a black person. She decided only speaking to the white guy was was fine. Let's talk about how racism shows up in journalism. <laughs> and then he, he and then he writes that Anna only reached out to me once, which I missed because I was driving, which I think is is fine. I think that you can send one email or call someone one time. I don't think you're obligated to like try them over and over again until they respond to you. Um, she gave him 24 hours to respond to her email. He didn't do it. Um, he then says... She wrote a deeply biased article which placed the white guy as the victim and the black guy as the villain. Typical. And not actually speaking to me before writing the article, it creates an echo chamber of white perspective. Um, so he just, he basically, 
this is a long thread and we'll post a link to it, but he basically accuses her of racism. And I think this is one of the problems with this ideology. I don't know if this is critical race theory. I don't know if this is a result of his actual like lived experience or if this is a result of his education or the, or the sort of people he surrounds him with. But for whatever reason, this guy believes that Anna Merlin's piece was racist, right? There's absolutely no evidence that she did anything wrong. Like she, she reached out for comment. He didn't comment. He had a ridiculous thread where a sort of satanic panicky thread, as she points out later, he like unfairly falsely accuses this guy of like dabbling in the occult or doing witchcraft or whatever. And he assumes that because she disagreed with him or because she didn't send him a million fucking emails that this is racist and i think this is one of the problems that we're seeing right now in this moment is that anytime there is a slight if you believe that the world is like systematically racist and that every interaction between a white person and a black person has this element of, of like white supremacy in it, you're going to read racism everywhere. Like I heard Michelle Obama's podcast. She was talking about how she went to a, um, she went to like get frozen yogurt at one point and some woman stepped in line in front of her. And for her, that was evidence that black women are invisible because this woman cut her in line and the same thing happened when we were interviewing that woman about her 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 robin d'angelo training there was some incident where robin d'angelo interrupted her black like co-facilitator and that was taken then she did this like big like abject apology because if a white person interrupts a black person that is racism and i think this is a really dangerous ideology and not just for white people but also for black people because it cannot be good for you like for your mental health for your ability to live in the world if you view every potential interaction every slight as being the byproduct of white supremacy and racism and this these are things like kibram or uh, ibram x kendi this is what he believes if there is any sort of slight, if there is any discrepancy, if there is any difference between, you know, a, the outcome of a, of a white person and a black person, um, you know, if a, if a black woman loses on Jeopardy, well, that must be because the questions were culturally insensitive. There, yeah, and I think the most important part, which does tie into some strands of critical race theory, is this idea of lived experience and how, you know, if you're a member of a marginalized group, your lived experience is is your reality and needs to be respected by others. I mean, this case... But what if your lived reality isn't reality? Right, right. No, like in this case, frankly, I wish I was a worse person so I could just join the anti-Merlin pylon and be like, yeah, fuck you, racist. Yeah, but, I know. I was like, it was like so good to see her accused of racism, but also like it wasn't fair. Right. It's, there's, there's nothing there. And yet people will just spread the accusation. So, yeah, man, it's not this system where it's just like, what people say is true is automatically true and no one fact checks stuff. That's not good in any context. People will abuse that. There was this great moment within this, uh, this back and forth. The best moment of course was the church of Satan. Um, uh, <laughs> the church of Satan responding. The church of Satan also at some, at some later date, it turns out that Frederick Joseph had actually tweeted the church of Satan in 2017. He said, Question at Church of Satan. Y'all have anything in the works against Trump, maybe a ritual or spell to send him to hell? So he apparently doesn't always have a problem with Satanism. But there was this other great moment where a woman, um, an Asian woman, Anna Merlin had posted this this like response to um to this guy's thread in her in her Vice article. This was a woman named Cindy Chu. She's a apparently an actor, blue check mark on Twitter. 
So she had gone through the listing and she found some things in the photos that she found like like as evidence of of witchery and so she posts this picture of a bunch of logs it's like clearly like logs around a a, like a fire pit that you would sit on you know and she says (laughs) she posts this picture and she says now these jump out at me from the listing photos plus the outdoor tub convenient for bloodletting outside and washing away evidence (laughs) so she's so like this is an an insane allegation right it's a tub outside and so therefore you know it must be it must be evidence of like human sacrifice or whatever so she gets pissed off and she says something she also says that this is like uh, you know as as a woman of color or whatever she also blames anna merlin for including this tweet on her race but really the fact is that she made an allegation that this guy was like fucking bloodletting at his airbnb that you know she's the blue check mark on twitter um this is relevant and it's also hilarious but there is this like you know if you know if a white person does something wrong well white supremacy it sounds to me like anna merlin is really racist and should sit with that and try to become less racist she should issue a correction oh man yeah this whole this whole way of seeing the world is not great um it's not and it's just like it's growing it is growing yeah um well now that we've we've solved racism for i think the third or fourth time on this podcast maybe we should wrap it up unless you had anything else to add I don't. Shit's going to get worse this fucking year, man. And next year is going to be worse than this one. Um, So for our we're going to go ahead and record a Patreon episode. If people are interested in that, check out our uh, our Patreon at patreon.com slash blocking reported. We are going to be talking about the wildfires that are currently keeping me trapped in my house right now as uh, and much of the West Coast. But there is an interesting online social media. uh, This isn't just going to be like science class. We've got we've got we've got an angle that we're pretty excited about. It's science and technology. It's ST. S- and educa- it's you know it's it's actually just the full STEM, yeah. I don't know if we'll have any math in there, but Okay, yeah, that about wraps it up. Uh remember, you can always get in touch with us at blockedreportedpodcast at gmail dot com. Please continue to fight the four point seven versus four point six star review on Apple Podcasts. We will prevail. If you see any cool octopi or other sea life in the Pacific Northwest, please capture it and send it to me in Boston. Um, oh, subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash reported. Great community there. Uh, anything else, Katie? Um, I saw that someone made a Twitter account called Blocked and Reported Out of Context, and it is quite amusing. I recommend. Oh, without context, I think. It's really good. It just If you just want to find the stuff that will get us sort of canceled. permanently canceled, <laughs> uh, lesbian race theory from Katie. Lots of talk about Jesse's foreskin. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really dark and disturbing read. Uh, all right. This has been Blocked and Reported. I'm Jesse Singley. Remember, if you see anyone doing anything even remotely anti-American, Send Donald Trump a DM reporting them. And I'm Katie Herzog. And also remember, if you ever need a refund from Airbnb, just plant a statue of Satan.